from Moby.co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing to you this time, you know, honestly, one of the first solid weeks we've had and one of the first times we're not going to fully talk about inflation. We are deep in the AI wars now with Microsoft, Google, Alibaba, Baidu, basically everyone coming out of the woodwork and developing new AI products now that ChatGPT has sort of like proved the market, so to speak. A lot to sort of talk about in terms of how that's going to affect the real market considering Google stock is down 10% off of their Bard AI, just not doing super hot compared to Bing, actually integrating ChatGPT into its homepage, trying to understand if Bing can become a real thing. To help me sort of unpack that, of course, audience, as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, we missed a week due to just product mayhem. What's good, man? How you doing, dude? Uh, Everything's good. It's been, to your point, a a busy week, uh, or a busy start to the year, rather, but there's a lot to talk about. For the first time, there's some real optimism in the markets after we saw, you know, the first 30 days of the year be pretty strong. We're all obviously hoping that it is not going to be a repeat of 2022. So excited to dive into that today to talk about specific companies, economic outlook, crypto, you name it. There's a there's a lot on the docket for today. And since, you know, we missed last week, too, we kind of missed the the Fed meeting, the rates rise, and also Jerome Powell's comments on Monday as well. And I feel like let's get with the macro first then. So Jerome Powell on stage on Monday this week talked about how the disinflationary process has begun and also just never really committing to like a full timeline in terms of like when rates raises will go away. But a lot more dovish remarks coming from Chairman Powell ahead of next week's CPI report, right? So it's really exciting to see the market react to that positively, thinking, okay, we're going to stop raising rates sometime in 2023, as opposed to the brutality of keeping rates going up for the entirety of this year. But Justin, as you sort of look at the market reaction here and look at how inflation's been playing out ahead of the CPI, which is either, you know, in a couple of days or tomorrow, depending on when you're listening, uh, how do you how do you think the market's sort of taking your current inflation situation? Are we powering through this or is the Fed already starting to go a little bit too far with these rates rises? It's interesting because, again, we're not at the the end of this, and economic data is always changing month to month, week to week. So it's always kind of this limbo of do we move too quickly, do we move too slowly, and then only in retrospect do we actually have the comprehensive answer. So when we look at the current data, you know, maybe we change our minds in a month from now, two months from now if things change. But from everything we're seeing on our side, inflation continues to be a problem, yes, According to his comments, like we're starting to see things lower, which is definitely the truth, but inflation is still running relatively rampant. Um, Energy prices are extremely volatile, um, which is discluded from a lot of the inflation numbers, uh, which I don't think is fair. Same with food prices. And, you know, things are starting to come down in the right direction, but we still have a pretty massive problem on our hands in terms of how expensive things have gotten. Um, so I think the market is getting a little ahead of itself in the sense that, uh, the market, um, thinks, you know, we're going to be decreasing rates tomorrow. I think it's a little bit longer than the market is anticipating. Having said that though, um, the fed created this scenario over the last, you know, decade, two plus decades where the world runs on debt, um, and low rates and cheap money. And so over the last year, We've seen things start to pull back significantly as they've changed their policies. And that's frankly just not sustainable in the long run. So what a lot of the market and investors are really thinking behind the scenes is, I don't care what the Fed says. I know they're not going to have a choice if it gets bad enough. If they tank the economy, 
which it looks like, you know, they potentially might with how high rates are, then we're going to be in a position where they have to reverse. They have to lower. They have to flood the market with economy with money. So the, a lot of investors are looking at this as kind of either the economy continues to do well, the Fed stops raising rates, and that's a good scenario, or we move into this massive recession, the Fed lowers rates and ultimately pumps money into the economy, which is another good longer term scenario. But either way you slice it, the market is starting to deviate aware away from what the Fed thinks and cares about, and more so into the fact that there's a real scenario where we have to lower rates, regardless of whatever they're saying, you know, at some point this year or early next year. And so for the forward looking nature of the markets, that then bodes really well for, you know, operating profits and all the other metrics that investors care about uh, a lot more. And then pairing that with the fact that a lot more companies are starting to care about profitability, not pursuing growth at all costs. And you're starting to see kind of like over the last year, this repointing of the arrow as to where companies are headed and how they'll get there. And I think the most important thing to realize is is that what we're seeing now is not necessarily like the big giant recession we thought we were always aiming at toward during the 2010s. What we're seeing is just the market correcting after a truly wild sort of mania period from the end of 2020 into the end of 2021. One of the wildest rides the market has seen in terms of just like how much money was being pumped into stocks, crypto, everything else. And so we're just getting back to more sane levels of growth, right? Like what you're what you're watching with these layoffs is not the market, you know, collapsing, it is the market responding to just staggering levels of overhiring when there was just so much money sloshing around in 2021. And so we're finally getting away from like the fear of a complete sort of like crash slash recession and into, okay, when is the Fed going to, you know, blink, so to speak, get us through the situation and say, okay, we're going to stop raising rates. We're going to begin the actual policy of disinflation, which is bringing down interest rates and letting money kind of re-enter the economy and helping those flows go a little bit faster once we get inflation fully under control. With that said, like uh, we're looking again at you know actual innovations happening and actual business news happening. After literally a year of just talking about inflation, we finally have new actual battlegrounds to discuss. Justin, real big week here in AI news. We've been talking about chat gpt here and there a little bit there was no real business like thing to discuss with that but now we have two of the two major players in the ai space sort of like throwing their opening salvos out um on tuesday microsoft had a huge event where they showed off chat gpt being fully integrated into bing you can now ask bing questions um and sort of like have that kind of conversation it's fine it's a usable product the very next day google un unveils its bard product which is not integrated into search it's just you know a chat gpt competitor and it threw out a couple of wrong answers and just wasn't like the best thing so the market reacted by shedding 10 percent from google stock we see that as a huge buy opportunity for google obviously because while that short-term comparison's kind of lame. Uh, Google's going to be the absolute winner here. It's just too easy. Like the integration Microsoft has is cool and interesting. And this is a very smart move for them. But looking at the actual sort of like way you win this, Google integrating this into search is going to be gigantic moving forward. But when you look at that landscape, Justin, when you look at the kind of capital flows happening, happening here, what are your thoughts in terms of like who, like Google going down, us thinking that's more of like a buy signal than anything and Microsoft sort of staying strong. Do you think Microsoft's got a huge jump here or is this going to kind of come back to bite them, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's really early to say. Obviously, ChatGPT, if you think about like how long it's been around, yes, it's been a, a project for years now. But in terms of public release and public like ex like acceptance, 
it's super young. So a lot of people have been operating on the free product. You're starting to see companies build on top of the API now. It's it's so early in its infancy, it, it's tough to say in either direction. If we take some ballpark conversion metrics, um, if they turn on a subscription product and, and people are paying for it, you know, they could be making $50, $100 million out of the gate. But if you think about Microsoft's total revenue, I mean, $50, $100 million, which sounds funny, is nothing. I mean, it's like a you know pocket change or, or money they would find in the couch. So for it to get to significant scale to overtake Google, I mean, we're still a really long, long way away from that. I think more importantly, though, than looking at the revenue component is looking at adoption. So Bing, for example, and all the other search engines, if you look at them relative to uh, Microsoft in terms of you know how much market share they have, it's it's pretty significant. So for example, Google, if you blend together, or I guess really let's let's look at a mobile first. Google controls 95.6% of the mobile uh, search dominant marketplace. So, you know, for every 100 queries on the open internet, 95.6% uh, of them are going through Google, which is insane. Bing is 0.6, Yahoo 0.8. Um, and on desktop, it moves up a little bit more. Bing has 8.6, which is somewhat significant, but Google still owns 84.7% of the market. So the number one thing to look at is really understanding how much can Bing go up and how much can Google go down. And so it won't be overnight, but if we can see over the next few quarters, if not next few years, that number start to deviate due to uh, the rollout of this integrated AI, then we know it's gonna be pretty significant because Google's, you know, most of their revenue, if not all of their revenue is associated with advertising and they get that advertising dollar because they have such strong uh, volume on their search queries. So long story short, this could be like potentially very strong for Microsoft, but it's just too early to tell. Um, and having said all of that, Google has their own AI, Bard, that is as rolled out that you referenced. Um, again, super early on, but if it's as good as ChatGPT is, time will tell, then it's not really much of a differentiator. Again, Google will continue to have dominant market share. So when you see the articles, the headlines saying ChatGPT is taking over the world tomorrow, Google's going out of business, it's so, so preemptive. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. And I think one thing that we're really missing here as people sort of talk about this, they're saying, oh, Microsoft's going to kill Google. Oh, Google's totally had a misstep here. This is a situation where both sides win easily because you have to think about actual capital flows. Like you said, Justin, Google, you know, depending on what sort of channel you're looking at, controls either 84 or 95% of the search market. They have plenty of room wherein they can, you know, release a little bit of, a little bit of market share and not go down because at the same time that advertising revenue went down for Google we're seeing an actual acceleration in Google cloud adoption like Google is establishing itself as you know solid bronze metal within the new sort of like cloud landscape really excited to see Google cloud really grow really well and kind of help replace some lost ad, ad revenue and even if Google loses you know one to five percent of search volume um, as long as ad revenue goes back up as long as people start start advertising on Google and YouTube again and that kind of doesn't matter. And at the same time, Google losing that much market share is an absolutely insane amount of new revenue for Microsoft, enough to completely bolster slowing Azure, um, what is it called, adoption. That's the thing. So Microsoft's cloud is accelerating while, I'm sorry, Google's cloud is accelerating while Microsoft Azure is decelerating. And so you're seeing kind of this little shuffle where kind of both sides win, right? Because 
just the amount of opportunity Microsoft has to finally make Bing actually worth something is just too much to pass up. They already have really solid advertising revenue from a little bit of Bing, a little bit of LinkedIn, and sort of like other areas where they, you know, have ads. And now that they sort of like own sort of the corporate homepage, I'm going to see a lot more Bing adoption here too, just because like it's, it's, so much right there. I'm really excited to see what they do with that, though. The only real loser here is Amazon, right? Like, unless they get their healthcare stuff on, like, on track. AWS, you know, got a little bit overvalued, it looks like, as Azure and Google Cloud, you know, begin to catch up. Is there anything Amazon can do to sort of, like, make sure that they don't completely lose out here as uh, cloud and AI? Like, they have Alexa. Are they going to also potentially release an AI product and sort of get that tier of advertising in as well? Yeah, so for Amazon, I mean, they're playing in a very different game. Having said that, what a lot of people don't realize is that Amazon is its own search engine it's for the e-commerce world. So you go to amazon.com, you want to buy toilet paper, you type in toilet paper, and then it ranks all the different toilet papers. You can buy ads and so that you're at the top of the list. And so that Charmin is buying, you know, uh, market share over the Amazon brand or, or whatever, another brand in the toilet paper space. But effectively, they're their own search engine. Um, so it's very different because it's targeted for buying but I'm sure they'll be able to integrate their own AI systems um, and continue also to take market share away from Google so that if you are Googling where to buy toilet paper or toilet paper to buy, you could just do that in Amazon instead if the tools are good enough. So there hasn't really been news there that I'm aware of, um, but I'm sure with every single you know tech trend, they are pursuing their own version of AI or, or some integrative chatbot. Um, that effectively can increase their product and also increase like market share dominance. And that's the main thing too, to keep in mind that Amazon can win, like even if AWS continues to decelerate, all we have to do is just get the e-commerce economy back on track and Amazon's back as well. That's why we call them bull runs, right? Once the market improves, it kind of improves broad base. And a lot of questions coming in from the audience about sort of like how costs work, like the main weakness Microsoft has, right, with ChatGPT is how expensive a ChatGPT query is. Like there are estimates out there that range from two cents to four cents a query, which for OpenAI is survivable so long as their paid tier folks do not chart do more than a thousand queries a month right but when you look at what it's going to be for microsoft you can probably see that there's going to be you know one of these like enterprise level trades going on where you know microsoft is offering a lot of azure rack space for some sort of like low tier free gpt access so getting cost under control is going to be a huge issue that's why google kind of is more of the winner too they have a lot more control since they are doing bard on their own google cloud architecture and therefore do not have to like have these different flows happening so that's the main risk for Microsoft. But again, the reward is finally getting people to Bing and making Bing an actually sticky product and making Bing a, st a sticky advertiser as well. So that's what the main thing we are excited about just to get, you know, through a couple of audience questions, Justin. But then we just, we as we keep, you know, looking back through this, we just continue to see like the rest of the market. There are also the Chinese AIs, both um, Alibaba and Baidu are announcing their own chat GPT competitors. Can China even keep up at this point with the semiconductor shortage? Or is this something that we're going to main, uh, American companies are going to maintain like a complete out ahead position on yeah i mean i'm sure you have your own view and i'm very curious to hear what uh what you think but again this like everything is just being so changed all the time through the supply chain and bringing it back on shore everything that you you kind of just mentioned um it'll be really interesting to see this china dynamic play out in further time and i can sp expand it on a second but i, I kind of want to go back and forth here i'm curious what uh, your thoughts are 
Pretty much no, right? Because a lot of the actually advanced, you know, sort of GPUs that are required to make AI work sort of at scale, the issue is not the product itself, which I'm sure maybe Baidu or Alibaba can find a way to make a superior product, and that's how they're going to, you know, brand it. But the issue is scaling that product. Again, like, ChatGPT is using the amount of energy like the Netherlands uses right now, just to answer your goofy questions about what recipe you should make or what little D&D stories you're doing for yourself or whatever weird nonsense you're doing, people writing short stories and selling them on Amazon direct publishing uh, through ChatGPT or whatever. You have to find a way to scale that. And that's where a lot of this huge competition comes in because it's extraordinarily difficult to manufacture these semiconductors. And we have, you know, the Biden administration has made it very difficult for China to acquire the materials that make the chips that make AI possible. So we're going to see that kind of ramp up on our end, you know, build further. So if somebody can find a more efficient way to do large language modeling, that's the real win. So that's the thing I'm going to be watching out for is just the efficiency side of it. Who can do this for cheap? A Google search right now costs uh, less than one third of one tenth of a cent, 0.035 cents, right? So the main question we have then is who can get actual AI queries down to that level because it's currently eight times cheaper to ask Google a question than it is to ask ChatGPT a question. And that's the absolute win there, right? And so the the advanced chip architecture necessary to do that in China, not there, not going to happen unless, you know, you it's all it all it all comes down to the research and development side of things. Who can develop a large language model that doesn't brute force the architecture, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, you know, it's definitely good to to hear your side of things. And I think the point you make on the power consumption will be really interesting to see how it plays out again, of the, like outside of the consumer adoption, it's just who can like actually physically support this. Just like translating this over to the crypto world, it, Ethereum had to move over to proof of stake because of how much power consumption they're using and how much Bitcoin is using. So a lot of the market dynamics come from not only consumer adoption, because I mean, Again, I'm translating this to another company, but look at Uber, look at Lyft, you know, cheap rides or nearly free rides for the first five to 10 years of their existence. Yeah, who doesn't want that? But as soon as they start raising prices, that's when it's how much adoption will there be in order to keep up with scale? So that's always the super important thing to see outside of the technology is just the actual fundamental unit economics of how it works, which is exactly why, you know, the metaverse has been such a a big failure for um for what do you call it meta or i guess facebook rather to date it's been so expensive to run um no one's really buying it and they're in this interesting position where they've kind of already hit scale and so they're not expected to grow 50 percent year over year yet they're treating themselves like a startup and spending billions of dollars a year on a product no one wants so it's an interesting segue out of the chat gpt area but another area that has gone a little bit quieter now that you know their stock is up 40 50 percent this year uh, and they're starting to focus now more on profitability rather than ultimately the uh, the metaverse project they preached in 2022. Well, I mean, Meta is only recovering because they've pared back their expectations on how much money they're going to throw at the metaverse. The original projections, if you look at, you know, the initial announcement in 2021 and them going through 2022, just saying, yes, yeah, how much we spent, this is how much we're going to spend. They're going to spend adjusted to inflation, like the same amount of money it took to land men on the moon. The entire Apollo program adjusted for inflation cost about as much as Zuckerberg was projecting for 10 years of research and development into the metaverse, which is 
absolutely insane, which is what's been holding Facebook back the entire last year. Like the actual business of Facebook is still just so insanely profitable and such a huge revenue generator. They were just burning all of that cash to develop VR chat, but somehow lamer. Just when you look at that, when you look at sort of like them kind of going away from the metaverse idea there is facebook just the same thing just waiting for uh quantitative easing to happen again people to start putting money back into advertising or are there other dynamics we need to watch like is is apple a threat here with their potential the very very loud rumors we're getting for their sort of mixed reality headset them beating zuck to the metaverse despite all the spend zuck has done in the past year two separate questions is mark zuckerberg actually pulling back from the metaverse and then also is apple a real threat there yeah so on the first point I- Again, this is a, do we believe it's going to happen based off the data? So if you look at the number of times they've mentioned in public forums, mostly their earnings calls, the metaverse, it has been decreasing. So go back to first quarter 2022. So about a year ago, during their earnings call, they mentioned it 11 times the metaverse. Then the next quarter was 10 times. And then the following quarter was 13 So it's kind of been this slow increase over the course of 2022. And now that we're going to 2022, 2023, the last earnings call, they only mentioned it seven times and we'll be very interested to see how many times they mention it during this earnings call. And then if you look at the stock price relative to how many times they're mentioning the metaverse, it's like inversely correlated. The more times they mention it, stock goes down and vice versa. The less time they mention it, the more the stock price goes up. And as they've been mentioning less and less the focus on the metaverse, they've been mentioning more and more the focus on profitability, generating cash flow, all the things that historically investors want to see. So they're saying the right things. But just because they're saying the right things, are they ultimately going to do the right things? That's where we get into a very, very different situation. And it's hard to fully understand without looking at how much they've spent and how we know Mark Zuckerberg to be more or less as a CEO of of Meta. And what we know so far, the two data points that ultimately have us more or less not believing what he's saying is, A, he has a supermajority on the board, which is something no one's paying attention to, but effectively, he, it is near impossible for him to get voted out. So he could sink the company, do all these terrible things. And unlike other CEOs and active investors coming to kick them out, it's possible, but he has such a high, heavy voting share that it would be really, really hard. So he can pursue projects that he, as he see fits, even if it destroys the financials and destroys the stock price. So that's on one hand, he's made it very clear. He renamed the company Metaverse just because he's focusing on profitability now and they're saying it. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be a long-term thing in the future because no one can push him back. He can't lose his job. And then past that, if you look at the operating losses of the metaverse kind of division within Facebook, in 2019, they lost $4.5 billion. 2020, $6.5 billion. 2021, $10 billion. And then in 2022, they lost $13.7 billion. So we'll see what happens in 2023, but they've been increasing how much they've been losing on their metaverse investment for the last four years. And yes, last year was really bad, but I don't anticipate this trend to reverse significantly anytime soon. Maybe they cut back spending in 2023, but they're not gonna go from you know losing over $20 billion on this investment to zero tomorrow. This is still very much going to be the future of their company. Um, and so that's something we really need to watch for in their stock price. 
Having said all of that, again, the focus on their core product, the focus on profitability now is what they need to be doing. And that's why there's been this renewed enthusiasm that, and that's why the stock price has gonna gone up. But over the long run, you know, it's called five to 10 years from now, they've done nothing that shows me that what they're saying now is going to stick. I believe they'll transition back to the metaverse. They'll continue to ignore their product, the creators on their platform that allow them to get the ad spend on their platform. And if you, I mean, just go on Facebook and go on Instagram today. They're core, they're two core products. They're littered with ads. The consumer experience is pretty poor and TikTok and other platforms are starting to take real market share. So I think long run, they're, they're going to be in real trouble, even though if 2023, their stock price, you know, ends up recovering pretty strongly. And that's what's really important too. Like we're seeing, you know, people run away from a bad user experience and we're seeing finally new development in terms of better user experiences. Search has been in need of disruption for a while. Like Google search ranks are just, you know, the SERPs are not a good place to be right now. It's littered with ads as the way people have to do SEO right now. It's the only way to publish on the internet, right? So AI is hopefully going to, you know, help cut through that noise. It's going to be, you know, harder as a business to sort of do business on the internet, but it's really exciting to see, you know, the potential for a better user experience, both in social media and on search. We're seeing Facebook frantically try to keep up with TikTok in terms of design. You know, the TikTok user experience is way better compared to the absolute ad riddled nightmare that is Instagram. Whereas, you know, just having a conversation with Bing right now is, you know, a little bit more pleasant compared to uh, trying to navigate the Google search results pages. But once AR starts, you know, filling in those, what is it called, um, featured snippets and doing a little bit more than it currently does at Google, better user experience. So it's one of those situations where we're seeing, you know, the beginning of a new technology race. And I'm really excited to see where that keeps going from here. Uh, Justin, we are, you know, a little bit over time and just because of a couple of, what, uh, we're a little bit over time, but just real fast. Um, our audience is also obviously curious about our perspective on sports betting. Um, this Super Bowl coming up, which may or may not be important to anybody here uh, in the Moby organization, um, is looking like the most bet on Super Bowl in history with 50.4 million people doing bets. But at the same time, the actual sports betting industry, DraftKings, um, FanDuel, whomever, you know, they're still recovering from their ride in 2021 mania. Um, with with stuff like the Super Bowl, you know, increasing adoption, do we see more of a recovery in the sports betting space or is this kind of the level it's going to be for a while just with the amount of cost it takes to get people in the door for this new venture here? I mean, a lot of that is is priced in at this point. I mean, the stock is for DraftKings, for example, it's up 43% this year. But when you zoom out, it's still down significantly. If you go back to 2021, uh, their stock price hit a high, <clears throat> excuse me, of $72. Today, it's floating around 16. So if they wanted to reclaim those highs, it'd have to go up almost 350%. So it's still a long way to go to get back to those highs. And realistically, the, the valuation back then was pretty inflated. I mean, long story short, they're on the road to recovery, but it's going to take a very, very long time for them to get back. So if you're an investor at those levels, I mean, the expectations are going to be tough for you to continue to, to hold on to get there. Having said that, we're still believers. I think a lot of the Super Bowl stuff, again, is already priced in. But again, what we're going to be watching for is continued legalization in more states, more people pushing in, the LTV of their users increasing um, at $7 billion in market cap relative to their revenue, there's still a lot of upside. But again, this is a bet on, uh, you know, a multi multi year holding period.
Exactly. It's one of those things where the amount of spend you have to do to get people in the door is just astronomical. The cost per acquisition is just insane. But the thing is, is that a lot of these consumers will end up being very, very valuable moving forward as long as they sort of set up the right levels for how and when to bet. So exciting to see how that industry develops. Obviously, we would wish, I wish the whole economy could just get right back to 2021 mania because that was super fun, right? But we'll, we'll have to see. You know, otherwise, it's really exciting to see this level of adoption and um, you know, see this much excitement for, you know, what's going to be an awesome Super Bowl. Can I get, uh, Justin, your views? Uh, who, who do you got for the big game, by the way, before we get out of here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really hard to bet against Mahomes. Uh, the guy just won MVP for the second time. He's, I mean, we'll see what happens in the end of his career, but easily could go down as, you know, top three quarterback of all time, if not the best. Um, so really, really, truly hard to bet against him. Having said that, the Eagles, especially when Jalen Hurts has been in the game, have been dominant. The playoffs have been a joke for them. Um, they've walked through, you know, a lot of teams and, and really good teams if you look at the schedule so far. So it's going to be a really good matchup. They're good in all the areas that the Chiefs are bad in, and the Chiefs are really good in all the areas that they're bad in. Um, long story short, I think I'm going to have to bet on the Chiefs, unfortunately, but I will not be surprised at all if the Eagles pull this through. They have a crazy fan base, a crazy city, and an amazing team. The The main thing I'm excited for is we're finally getting an unstoppable force forces and a movable object, right? It's going to be an absolute barn burner of a Super Bowl. So I'm really excited yeah. to see that. I mean, the only bet... The only real bet that we can take is that the city of Philadelphia in any sense is going to absolutely burn down. So it already is burning. I already smell the smoke. I'm here in the Philly suburbs. We are already, (laughs) we're nervously burning the city now just to, you know, shake off the nerves. This feels scarier than, you know, going against Tom Brady in 2018 with a backup quarterback for some reason. Yeah. Just grease, continue to, hopefully the city's greasing up those, those poles. Yeah. Uh, The, the light poles. So I don't know how you guys do it, but maybe your skin is like resistant to grease. It's all, it's all, it's all on your shoulders. You just pull back no matter. And you, you, the friction, you know, (laughs) makes it happen. So it's, it's all just, you know, don't skip shoulder day and you will get up those poles. It's super easy at the end of the day. Yeah. Either way, I guess audience, I guess, you know, that, you know, you've got, you know, the classic uh, narrative versus analyst dichotomy, as well as the classic Philadelphia versus New York dichotomy here at Moby.co. So I will say a hearty go birds. It's, it's, it's too easy, but um, really appreciate you take your time audience. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Just great to have an episode where we talk about things that aren't Jerome Powell. I'm so excited that the economy is doing economy things again. Um, so just excited to see that move forward as we get through recovery year 2023. Any final thoughts from you, Justin, before we go ahead and read the credits here, man? Nah, pretty Sick. solid episode. I know we went over, so uh, let's let's wrap this up, give her some uh, some time back, and move on. And we'll catch up next week. Hell yeah, y'all! Either way, audience, again, big week next week. We're really excited to see how the CPI plays out come Tuesday, but we'll see how we'll we'll talk to you then when it gets there. Regardless, it's a good place to end it. So, audience, just so you know, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by Moby.co, led by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual sort of value from this podcast comes from our analyst team, headed up by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here. If you have any questions for us, audience, you can hit us up. At hello at moby.co if you you know like the moby perspective want to get more of our long-term ideas on stocks you can hit us up at moby.co slash go get a free trial see what we're all about with our research see how we're doing this otherwise audience we really appreciate your time and as always we like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much